Well, friends, we have in this passage the Lord of the Sabbath healing on the Sabbath. The Lord Jesus Christ, the sovereign Lord, Son of Man, Son of God, the one who brought all things into existence and is now residing upon the earth, assuming the flesh. And here he is, he is being instructed by the teachers of the law. He is being guided by those that neglect the purpose of the law to emphasize their tradition. They're very much putting themselves forward. They are putting their standard of righteousness above the righteousness of Christ Jesus. This is the Messiah. This is the Son of God. This is the one who has assumed the flesh. This is the one who is to fulfill the law in every respect, to do what Adam did not do. And there are men coming to him with their criticism. There's no question about it that those that serve in ministry are going to receive criticism. It doesn't matter what it is that you're doing. Someone is going to find something to say to you. See, a great many times there's truth to the criticism. I'm not perfect. So someone can bring something to me and, and show me something. And there's other times where the criticism is absurd. The criticism is a, a, a missing the point of what was happening at the time. But there's no criticism of Jesus that was ever warranted. There's no criticism of the ministry of Christ that was ever legitimate, that was ever appropriate. There was nothing to criticize anyone that would come to Jesus with their own standard of righteousness and judge him, showing themselves not to understand the law of God, not to understand the purpose of the law of God. But such it is with man. Such it is with men in their legalism. They are so grounded in this legalism. We are natural-born legalists. We are natural-born idolaters, I would say. We are natural-born legalists. We are there creating our own laws and judging ourselves and others by what we have determined to be of greatest significance, of greatest importance. Here it is, in, in the, the absurdity of what they bring before Jesus, the absurdity of what he is charged with. Picking food on the Sabbath and eating it. Healing a man who's destitute on the Lord's Day, on the Sabbath day. Two points I want to pull out of this. The first is legalism and lordship. We see the legalism of the Jewish leaders, the, the legalism of the Pharisees that are bringing forward their tradition. And we're going to read through some of that tradition and rabbinical law. It is really incredible. I was, I was shocked. I was shocked at what I read. The, the ways in which they had made rules on the Sabbath day, on how it is that you were to follow it particularly. You see their legalism and you see the lordship of Jesus, the lordship of Christ Jesus over the Sabbath. He declares the Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath, not these Jewish leaders, not the tradition of the rabbis. No, the one that declared this law, the one that declared this to be true and to righteous. He is the one who is Lord of the Sabbath. And secondly, we see criticism and compassion. Criticism and compassion. The criticism of the Pharisees that they bring forward in their self-righteous judgment, bringing forward their tradition to judge the Son of God, to judge the Lord Jesus Christ, to deem what he does which is compassionate, which is kind, 
which is loving, which is merciful, and to determine that that is sinful and wrong. Determining that by their own standards, calling that which is good, evil. Calling that which is evil, good. Such it is even with the most religious of men. Man in his sinful state, man as a child of the devil, is not one who is irreligious, is not one who walks about believing in no God, but one who rather fashions an idol after his own sinful desires. And so it is with these men, with all of their pomp and circumstance, with all of the respect that they had of those in their day, that which is in their heart was displayed so clearly in this text. So clearly in this text, they criticize the compassion of Jesus. Let's look at that first point. Legalism and lordship. Legalism and lordship. First five verses of Luke chapter 6. On the Sabbath, while he was going through the grain fields, his disciples plucked and ate some heads of grain, rubbing them in their hands. But some of the Pharisees said, Why are you doing what is not lawful to do on the Sabbath? And Jesus answered them, Have you not read what David did when he was hungry? He and those who were with him, how he entered the house of God and took and ate the bread of the presence, which is not lawful for any but the priest to eat, but also gave it to those who were with him. And he said to them, The Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. And so they ask him this question. Why are you doing what is not lawful to do on the Sabbath? That is their accusation to him. You are violating the law of God. So Jesus and his disciples are traveling in their ministry. They're going about from place to place, likely going from one synagogue to another or traveling to a synagogue for the purpose of teaching within that synagogue, that's what he generally did on the Sabbath day. He would go into a synagogue and he would teach in the synagogue. He would be invited to go and teach. And here they are traveling at this time. I would go so far as to say they were perhaps traveling from one to another. And they were eating as they were traveling through these grain fields. There was lots of farmland. This was a very agrarian culture. Much land was given to the production of food. And you might think they're breaking the law here. They're, they're stealing other people's food. You're going and eating someone's food. You don't own that food. But this is something that was permissible under the Mosaic law. We see this in Deuteronomy 23 and 24, Deuteronomy 23 and verses 24 and 25. It says, If you go into your neighbor's vineyard, you may eat your fill of grapes, as many as you wish. But do not put any in your bag. If you go into your neighbor's standing grain, you may pluck the ears with your hand. But you shall not put a sickle to your neighbor's standing grain. So this was allowed. This was not a violation of the Eighth Commandment. And the Pharisees aren't charging him with a violation of the Eighth Commandment. They are charging him with a violation of the Fourth Commandment. Now, where do they get this idea from? Where can we find in the Pentateuch the declaration that walking through a grain field and eating food from that grain field is sinful and is wrong? Well, you don't find it in the Pentateuch. You don't find it in the Old Testament. You do find it in the rabbinical teaching. And I find some of this to be really incredible. The the details within the laws of the rabbis are absolutely fantastic. There was a law within the teaching of the rabbis that you were not to unfasten a button on the Sabbath day, that that was considered work for me to go into. So I violated it many times here today then, huh? And so did a great many of you, if this were true. You were not to lift more weight than a dried fig, 
You weren't even to make yogurt or kefir on the Sabbath. So even leaving milk out and allowing it to curdle and allowing it to become, you know, some other form of, of milk, whether it be yogurt or kefir or sour cream or something like that, that is sinful. Why, you say? Because the milk is working. See, you're making the milk work for you there. Some had such rules, you're not to clean and dress a wound on the Sabbath. That was actually written. Someone, someone wrote that. Someone taught that, that it was sinful. If you have a wound of some kind, to clean it and to dress it or to deal with it in, in any medicinal way or to do that for someone else, most likely what they're charging Jesus with as we get further down in this passage. I'm going to read to you from the, the Tal- Talmud. And this is a collection of rabbinical teaching, and it's a collection over the centuries. This is what it says. The principal acts of labor prohibited on the Sabbath are sowing, plowing, reaping, binding into sheaves, threshing, winnowing, fruit cleaning, grinding, sifting, kneading, baking, wool shearing, bleaching, combing, dyeing, spinning, warping, making two spindle trees, weaving two threads, separating two threads in, in the warp, tying a knot, untying a knot, sewing on with two stitches. You could do one. Two. Now you're breaking, breaking the law. Tearing in order to sew together with two stitches, hunting a deer, slaughtering the same, skinning them, salting them, preparing the hide, scraping the hair off, cutting it, writing two single letters or characters. Again, you could write one. You could write a really large letter, but if you write two small ones, that's a violation of the law. Erasing in order to write two letters. So again, you could erase and just write one, but you can't write two. Kindling, extinguishing a fire, hammering, transferring from one place into another. These are the principal acts of labor. So the ones that are forbidden. These are some really incredible rules. So these are a, a standard of, of righteousness that men keep up and deem themselves to be righteous by them. Believe that they're gaining merit before God by keeping these rules that they've made. And I want you to think about how absurd a great many of these are it it is a sin to make a fire there's a great many places in the world where it could be very harmful to yourself or your family if you did not make a fire or if the fire went out for some reason and now you're violating the moral law of god because you went and made warmth for your family most likely what is happening here i read that because I think it helps us in seeing why they criticize Jesus and his Pharisees here. Because Jesus had no place for their rules. Jesus did not come to earth. He did not assume the flesh so that he could fulfill the laws and the requirements of the, of the Pharisees. He did not come that he could fulfill their tradition. He didn't come that he could walk in their tradition. So this is what they are, are guilty of. They're, they're harvesting crops. They're threshing the crops. They're winnowing the crops. And then they're eating the crops, which is a preparation of what they just, they just, they, they just did. They're, they're, so all of those are likely things that are, are issues that are here. I don't know what grain this was. I had a Sunday school teacher once that said it was wheat. I don't know if you've ever tried to eat wheat in its natural form it is not very easy to eat and you can't really digest it so i doubt it was wheat some think it's corn that might make sense i don't understand why they'd be rubbing corn in their hands but it was some kind of a grain that they could eat that was easy to grab and they had to in some way way shuck away the the chaff and they had to some way separate it out and they could discard whatever it is they they weren't going 
going to eat. So that's what they have. They're, they're harvesting. They're picking the grain. They're threshing. They're separating the grain from the chaff. They're winnowing. They're tossing away the chaff. And then they're preparing, which is the eating of this food. And there, Jesus and his disciples are guilty of violating the tradition of the Pharisees because they are doing these actions on the Sabbath. They should just starve at this time. He's in the midst of doing ministry. He's in the midst of traveling somewhere to bring the word of God to people. He's in the midst of fulfilling the law of God in his life as he is living. He, he is demonstrating the best way that anyone can be living at that particular time in that particular place. And they are criticizing him. They're criticizing him in this time because they are eating food Jesus' response is fantastic. Verse 3 and 4 in Luke 6. Have you not read what David did when he was hungry? You know that was offensive. You, you know they did not appreciate him beginning his question that way. Have you not read? You're a teacher of the law. Is that not what Jesus says to Nicodemus? Are you a teacher of the law? Have you not read? Are you not aware of what happened? That David, when he was hungry, he and those who were with him, how he entered the house of God and he took and ate the bread of presence, which is not lawful for any but the priest to eat, and also gave it to those who were with him. A very important point that Jesus is making here. And it ties directly to what is happening here. You see, the Pharisees were putting their tradition in competition with the law of God. They were putting their tradition in competition even, even into the right application of the law of God. He's arguing here that David was not sinning at this time. And there's much more that we could walk into that we see with David consuming the bread of presence at this time and is pointing to him and, and, and pointing to the priestly office of Christ and, and pointing to this bread of presence in his consumption of it as he's doing the will of God, him and his men at this time and what they are doing. It's very much that theology there, very much pointing to Christ, the one who is going to sit upon the throne of David forever and ever and ever. But Jesus is saying, was not that appropriate there that David do that? None of them are denying that. None of them are, are contradicting that reality. So here's the issue. How much more appropriate is it for the Son of God, for Jesus to be walking, for the Son of Man to be here and in ministry and to be gaining sustenance as they are walking through this field and eating, that they may be nourished to do the will of God as they go out and go forward. That's what he's saying. If David was able to do this, even though the ceremonial law said it was forbidden, how much more is it appropriate for Jesus to do this with his disciples at this time when it is contradicting the tradition of the Pharisees, which, by the way, is contradicting the right application of the law of God. One commentator named Linsky makes this point. He says, Jesus lays his finger on the real trouble with the Pharisees. Too much reading of rabbinical law and not enough of divine law. They had only a fractional view of the Pharisees, uh, a fractional view of the scriptures, stressing one passage and then failing to combine the totality of the scriptures, focusing upon one aspect and, and missing the great point. That's the issue that many walk into as they walk into legalism, is they, they miss even the spirit of the law, the, the purpose for which. The law was made. And it's something that needs to be followed from the heart. It's something that needs to be seen as something that is good. That is something that, is, that should be done with joy. You may face persecution for walking in righteousness. 
It's, it's totally reasonable to recognize pain and difficulty and suffering at that time. But the law of God is not something that should be burdensome to us. The burden that we, fear, that, that we feel in following the law of God exists because of our own sinful desires. The law of God, and we've emphasized this many times, the law of God exists because that is the best way for you to live. God has given his law to you, not so that you can be weirdos in your culture, not so that you can just be strange people, not so that you can, you can stick out. He has given you his law, not so that your life can be difficult, not so that your life can be boring. Please don't have this view in regard to the law of God. Please don't have this view in regard to the, the worship of God. See, that, that's the issue of asceticism. It, it, is, it is looking at difficulty that someone is experiencing at this time or even placing upon themselves. Imagine this person following this rabbinical tradition at this time. Oh, look at how holy I am suffering now and kids are walking by and not feeding children Certainly, people are violating that. Certainly, you're feeding your children at that time. You're going to do what is reasonable. But imagine a parent thinking that they are really being obedient to that law by, by not feeding their toddler at this time that might be hungry because, oh, if I, if I clean this fruit so now we just need to eat dirty fruit all day, I can't wash, I can't wash the fruit? I can't make a fire? You can't prepare any food. In the Gospel of Matthew, he brings out another aspect of this conversation. And he brings out the reality that even the priests are working on the Sabbath day. Everything was going on the Sabbath day and on the many Sabbaths that exist within the ceremonial law. Everything was still going on that day. In fact, it was going at a greater pace than it did on other days. Matthew 12, beginning in verse 5, Jesus says, Or have you not read in the law? Again, I love that. I love that question that he asks them. Have you not read in the law? Do you not know the law and the prophets? Have you not read in the law how on the Sabbath the priests in the temple profane the Sabbath and are guiltless? They don't really profane. You're not to understand it that way. So don't take it to think like, oh, they're all sinning here and God wanted them, them to sin. No, no, they're profaning it according to this rabbinical tradition, which is contrary to the ceremonial law. He says, I tell you, something greater than the temple is here. And if you had known what this means, I desire mercy and not sacrifice, you would not have condemned the guiltless, for the Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. And that is a fantastic statement. That is a fantastic statement that we find in this passage. Here in Luke 6, the Son of Man is Lord of the of the Sabbath. Son of Man is the most common title that Jesus ever attributed to himself. And here he is arguing that he is the one who is Lord over interpreting the fourth commandment. He is the one who is the authority of the law of God and not the tradition of the Pharisees. Not all of these rules that they create. This religion of negatives. I don't do this, I don't do this, I don't do this, I don't do this. That's a religion that many times, many in the South in years past, like that was their religion. You could, you could sit in an independent fundamentalist Baptist church and somehow any passage that the pastor was preaching on that day would somehow go down to not dancing, not smoking, not drinking, and not cursing. There's many things you could say about any of those topics. But our religion is not, is not about what we don't do. There's a great many things you don't do as a Christian that you're commanded not to do. There's a great many things that all people everywhere are commanded not to do. 
But there's a positive side to each of these commands, and we've walked through that previously. We've seen that reality in the law, that even you have, you have the Eighth Commandment that says do not steal, and it's not about I don't ever take anything that belongs to anyone else. That's absolutely part of it. But there's another side to it. There's a positive side to it, because it's not just about what I don't do. It's about what I do. It's about the actions that I carry forward. And Paul gives the instruction that you should work with your hands, that you should work with your hands diligently, that you should work with your hands in a way that you are profitable, so much so that you're not even dealing with the temptation of stealing here, but rather you have sufficient that you can give to other people, that you can bless those that are in need. It's not not the very opposite of stealing. That is a, a right understanding of possessions. That's the totality of understanding the Eighth Commandment. It's about stewardship. It's about how it is you handle what the Lord has put in your possession, what the Lord has given you stewardship over, and how it is you should interact with that which the Lord has not given you stewardship over. You don't go and place yourself over something that the Lord has not placed you over. That's the right way of understanding this. I want to emphasize this too. Jesus says that he is Lord of the Sabbath. And we see these hints going through this gospel so far. We've seen hints where he is declaring his deity. And we talked about this in Sunday school many weeks back. And this declaration of uh, of lordship, being Lord, this, this kurios, now, you can talk to many in different cults, and they will tell you, well, that just means sir. It's a, it's, a, it's a standing that doesn't necessarily mean deity, and that's true. Kurios does not always mean deity. There's people in the scriptures that are called kurios that are not God, and it is a term that was used for honor and for respect. But you must understand what Jesus is Lord of. You must understand when you see that he is Lord of something, and he is Lord of the Sabbath. This is not just a mere man. This is not just a mere man that is declaring this. This is one who is a sovereign Lord. This is the one who spoke the law. This is the one who spoke the world into existence. Who else could claim to be Lord of the Sabbath? But one who was, in fact, the Lord. And understand this, when he says he is Lord of the Sabbath, this doesn't mean that he just acts any old way, and it doesn't matter what he does. Some in the dispensational mindset, some within the New Covenant theology mindset will, will put forward this idea that Jesus did whatever he wanted. Well, sure, he did what he, he wanted, but he only wanted that which was righteous and good. So, so when we say, but when it said he did whatever he wanted many times, someone goes on to say, like, he was above this. He was beyond this. It wasn't, it wasn't relevant whether or not he kept the rules of Sabbath keeping. No, it absolutely was. And you can see his behavior even here on this day is consistent with rightly understanding the Sabbath day and how it was to be used. It was not to be used at walking around and nitpicking. It was not to be used in lording over other people. It was to be used in the worship of God to rest from these worldly activities, not necessarily sinful, but these common regular activities that are the other six days of the week, and to have a day of the week, not where you just sit there and do nothing, not where it's like Little House in the Prairie, Maybe you read Little House on the Prairie. And Laura is there and she is sitting on a log bench all day long on Sunday. And she finally gets angry and she grabs her book and she throws it to the ground. And she declares how she despises Sundays. She despises this day where they don't get to do anything. And then Paul waits until Monday to give her a spanking because he didn't want to do any work on Sunday. This is, this is not 
a right idea. This is not a, a right understanding of there's a list of things I don't do. Let me just give me a list. All the times that's been said to me. Someone will say, look, you can't tell me the Lord's Day has its basis in the fourth commandment unless you can tell me all the things that I'm not allowed to do on the Lord's Day. Well, my response to that would be what many have said to that such a question is, I'll give you the list of things that you can't do on the Lord's Day if you can give me the list of things that teach how you violate the Tenth Commandment. Tell me every way you can possibly covet. And if you can't tell me every possible way that you can covet, then you can't tell anyone that covetousness is a sin. This is the wrong mentality. And the Pharisees here have the wrong mentality. Mentality. It's not that Jesus is Lord of the Sabbath and it doesn't matter what he does. He can do anything that he wants, no matter what, even if it violates the law of God. No, he's not violating the law of God. He's actually living in a way that is consistent with the fourth commandment. He is using the Lord's day, that I keep mixing the days up, but he's using the Sabbath day in this time for the purpose of worship. He is going to synagogues to teach. He is spending the day doing that which is good, which is helpful, which is beneficial. And the key that I want to remind us here, that this is how the Lord used this one day in seven. We have the Lord Jesus Christ, who as a human gathered on that Sabbath day, gathered with others and read the scriptures and prayed and sang praises to the Lord, listened to teaching, was one who was involved in teaching and preaching himself. And if the Lord Jesus Christ would be involved in such a way on earth, how much more should we? How, how much more significant and, and important is this for us? And we've talked about the ways that we've already seen that the ceremonies and the going to the synagogue, the life of Jesus was influential and was, was important to him. We see him even there in the temple a few chapters back teaching the leaders at that time. How much more important is it for us, dear friends, that we are gathered together on the Lord's Day, that we are there amongst the people of God. We're singing praises to our Lord. We're reading the scriptures that we are praying. We're participating in all aspects of these means of grace that the Lord gives to us. He gives you this day to be boring and difficult. No, he gives this to you because it's good because it is beneficial. That's a key point, to, to, to see the one day in seven in a delightful way. To see the one day in seven as that which is good and beneficial and helpful. And to, to have such partitions in your life. We see this coming from Mount Sinai. No, not just Mount Sinai. We see this coming from the very early pages of Scripture. This is being a creation ordinance. as a Lord who worked six days and rested on the Sabbath. And this is pointing forward even during this time. We're gathering on this first day, gathering on this first day as those that are a part of the, the new creation, those that are being made. The Lord is renewing. The Lord is remaking. He's working within his people. And he's using the gathering of the saints on the Lord's Day for that good purpose, pointing forward, pointing forward to that eschatological hope that we have when all of the saints will be gathered. We gather before the Lord Jesus Christ and we'll be singing praises to him. So we see the legalism and the lordship. We see the legalism of the Pharisees and their self-righteous judgment over the righteous actions of Jesus. But Jesus was the one that was being obedient to the law of God. And it's the Pharisees that were living inconsistently to the law that they were seeking to uphold. Secondly, we see criticism and compassion. Criticism. 
and compassion, the criticism of the Pharisees, the criticism of the Jewish leaders, and the compassion of Jesus. Starting in verse 6, it says, On another Sabbath he entered a synagogue and was teaching. And a man was there whose right hand was withered. And the scribes and the Pharisees watched him to see whether he would heal on the Sabbath so that they might find a reason to, ex- to accuse him. But he knew their thoughts. And he said to the man with the withered hand, Come and stand here. And he rose and stood there. And Jesus said to them, I ask you, Is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do harm, to save life or to destroy it? And after looking around at them, all he said to him, stretch out your hand. And he did so, and his hand was restored. But they were filled with fury and discussed with one another what they might do to Jesus. Now, there's an aspect to this Sabbath keeping on the part of the the Pharisees that was intended and had the result of drawing a lot of attention to, to the person, a lot of attention to the individual, that, that they can show outwardly the greatness of, of their suffering in order to keep the law of God. And here, so they can show outwardly the, the suffering another person must go through at this time to show that they are keeping the law of God. And there's a great many times, dear Christians, that you're going to suffer in keeping the law of God in this life. You live in a fallen world. That is a natural consequence. But the way in which they are emphasizing the suffering is, is man-made. It, it, it is self-administered. and it is, it is that which is to be very showy, to, to, to emphasize upon themselves, to, to show themselves to other people. To show, look at how holy I am because of all that I am going through. And Jesus says of such people, you have received your reward in full. That is the extent of the reward. I I worked with a man many years ago at a a fine dining restaurant. And uh, he was a Muslim man. And when Ramadan would, would come around, no one needed to tell me when Ramadan started. Because when he walked in the restaurant... It was very clear to anyone that was in there that he was now fasting at this time. And you would hear groans and you would hear sighs and you would hear all kinds of comments from him throughout the day because of this great suffering that he is going through at this time. And I never bothered to ask him and say, but you eat every night. As soon as the sun goes down, you can eat whatever, whatever you want. But there was this great showiness to what he was doing. There was this great emphasis to others. And so it is with with man's religion. Man's religion seeks not to please God with his religious actions, but seeks to please man. It's kind of at the heart of these legalistic rules is to, to make a show of these things, to make a show of this to other people, to bring yourself to appear to be holy and righteous. So we, we see that even nowadays with the modern virtue signaling, which changes by the moment. What you virtue signaled five years ago is not the same as it is today, and it'll not be the same as what it is even five years from now, and that's even stretching it because things change very rapidly in just five years. This virtue is just putting this forward. Look at my righteousness. L- look at my holiness. Look at the icon that I'm putting up here um, as, my, as my profile picture and changing this to demonstrate my righteousness before other people. So it is with the religion of man. So it is with man's legalism. And the scribes and the Pharisees watched him whether he would heal on the Sabbath so that they might find a reason to accuse him. I want you to think about something. I, I know this... What they're doing here isn't in their list of rabbinical rules. But how are they not distracted during the time of worship when their mind is just upon whether or not he's going to heal this man? How are they not distracted as they gather here and their mind is just on what Jesus is going to do? He heals people. Let's see if he's going to heal on the Sabbath. And then we can, we can get him. See how they're missing the purpose of the Sabbath day? 
They're, they're there amongst the people. They're gathered together. They're there to be worshiping God. They're there to be singing praises to God. They're there to be hearing the word taught and preached at this time. And their mind is on accusations. Their mind is on judgment of another person. Judging another person for their tradition. May it not be, dear friends, that you are so distracted on the Lord's Day that you are, you are looking around at others and considering the ways in which they are violating violating your preferences, violating your, your traditions. What a waste of a time of worship. What a distraction from the time of worship. It's the Pharisees here that were violating the fourth commandment. It's the Pharisees here that were not seeing this time as a blessing that the Lord had carved out in their lives, in their existence. The Lord had granted them sufficient provision. Recognize that as well. The Lord is granting them sufficient provision that they can set this day aside for this purpose. And they're walking forward just to accuse Jesus just to walk forward in their judgment, trying to find ways to discredit him, trying to find ways to delegitimize Jesus. Yes, he doesn't follow their tradition. He's not bound to their tradition. He's not Lord over their tradition. He's Lord over the law of God. He is Lord of the Sabbath. But he knew their thoughts. He knew what they were thinking. He knew what was in their hearts. Jesus says this. No one needs, he doesn't need anyone to tell him what is in the heart of man. Jesus knows what is in the heart of man. And he knew what was in their heart. He knew what was in their thoughts. And he asks them this question. He says, is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do harm, to save a life or to destroy it? Is it okay on the Sabbath day to do good? Is it okay to do evil? Is it okay to bless people? Is it okay to harm people? He's putting that before them there because they're doing one or the other in this circumstance. Their judgment of Jesus, their desire for this man to stay in his state of suffering and pain at this time is a violation of the Sixth Commandment. They are not loving this man rightly. They are not rightly respecting this man's life. They are not rightly respecting one who is made in the image of God. If the Lord Jesus would choose to heal this man, who are they to stand in judgment over them? Who, who are they to, to judge the Lord Jesus Christ in his compassion that he shows to another? They're violating the sixth commandment. That's his argument to them, to him, to them here. They're not loving this man. They're, they're doing one or the other. You can't sit in the middle on the law of God. You're either walking in righteousness or you're walking in sin. You can't just walk the line. It's not a balance beam. I'll just kind of be right in the middle. No, you're going to be going one direction or the other. There's a great many things in life that fall into that pattern. Their passive indifference was destructive to this man's life. It was not loving to this man. That is, that is not how they would have wanted someone to treat them. They're violating that law which is in the Old Testament. The golden rule, which we think of in the New Testament, was taken from the Old Testament. So there's a man whose hand was withered. Luke gives the specificity of this. Luke, Luke sees these things that, that others don't notice in the same way. Luke sees the specificity. Luke makes this point. It's his right hand. And the right hand was very important for a man in this day and time. It was very much a right-handed world. And so for a man to not have his right hand, he would not be able to fight in battle. He would not be able to work as most other men could work. He had a, although he could move around, he had a lot of problems in his life. And so granting this man his hand back changed his life completely. 
never says it's sinful to heal someone on the Sabbath day. You're not going to find that in the, in the Old Testament. It doesn't say that you can't clean and dress a wound. Of course, that is completely appropriate. There was to be a day of rest here from these worldly activities, a day to gather and to worship the Lord, this day that should be a delight rather than a burden. And I want us to, to see this reality that there t- there's a tendency to go into one of two extremes on such a law. There's the tendency to go into one extreme here and to be like the Pharisees and to make a, this list of rules and to apply it to all people in all situations and all circumstances and to make it all about the negative of, of, of what you're not doing and I'm not doing this and my, my righteousness is the totality of, of this negativity that I have of what I'm not doing but rather your view towards something like the Lord's Day, dear friends. The view that the Jews should have had in the Old Testament and their view toward the Sabbath day should have been that, that I have been freed from a slavery to sin and I have a freedom now to worship the Lord. That I've been made free to do this, for that was not the reality prior to your conversion For the Jews to see that reality as well, that they could see that I've been freed from slavery in Egypt. Our ancestors were free from Egypt. They were sent out of Egypt. What, just to sit around? No, they were freed from the slavery in Egypt, freed from the tyranny of Pharaoh, that they could go out into the wilderness and they could worship the Lord. How many times did Moses... Tell Pharaoh, let my people go that they may worship. That's what they were free to do. They were free to leave that they can go forward and worship. And That's how we need to see a day like the Lord's Day. We need to see this reality that we are a people who were born dead in our trespasses and sins. We were hopeless we were idolaters, we were legalists. Whether you had a list of rules like these Pharisees and rabbis did or not, you had your own list that you determined your version of righteousness by. Your own standard, whether it just be the good old boy decency of the South or whether it be something more, more sophisticated. It was your standard, it wasn't God's standard. For God's standard is obedience from the heart with the right desire, with the right action. You need to do the right thing. You need to do it for the right reason. And you need to desire to do the right thing. If, if you fall short in any of those ways, you are walking in sin. And that was our reality apart from Christ Jesus working upon us, apart from God acting upon us. First and foremost, friends, I want you to see that reality. The Bible shares this, that that, that we are not born into this world seekers of God. We are not born into this world walking in righteousness. Paul goes so far in Romans chapter 3 as to say, no one seeks after God. Paul goes so far in Romans chapter 3 as to say, none is righteous No, not one. None is righteous. All sin and fall short of the glory of God. All people have broken God's law. In no amount of good deeds, no amount of keeping of tradition is in any way going to change your standing. You can't go to church enough to make yourself righteous. You can't do enough good deeds for other people to make yourself righteous. You cannot virtue signal on social media enough to make yourself righteous. Prophet Isaiah goes so far as to say this, all of our righteous acts are like filthy rags. See, you don't need to be just a little better than someone else. You need to be perfect. Perfect. 
You need perfect righteousness. That, that's the requirement. That's the necessity. And that's what you don't have apart from Christ Jesus. Because Jesus, the one that we speak of here, the one that came and assumed the flesh, the one who was fully God and fully man, he fulfilled the law in every respect. He never broke it in any way. The Pharisees charge him of breaking it, but he does not. He does not break the law in any respect. And Jesus, being the one who was perfect and fulfilled the law in every respect, walked forward in obedience and died upon the cross and died upon the cross that you can have life that you can have life abundantly not just eternal life I die and I go to heaven no, your life can have significance now your life can have purpose now you can walk in righteousness now and that is the blessing that the Lord grants to all who will come to him, who all who will, will trust in him, not trust in their tradition, not trust in their standard of righteousness, but trust in him, but believe upon him and turn from their sins, this repentance, this idea of metanoia, this, this change of mindset is the idea, changing in this understanding to change from trusting in these legalistic ways to trusting, change from trusting in that which is worldly and temporal to trusting in the Lord Jesus Christ, the one who was obedient in every way, the one who took upon himself the consequences of sin, took upon himself the wrath of God. He died that you may have life, dear friends. In Christ Jesus will grant you that life just as he grants life back to the hand of this man. Verse 10, it says, And after looking around at them, all said to him, Stretch out your hand. And he did so, and his hand was restored. His hand came back to life. His hand had purpose. And the Lord Jesus will give your life purpose, will give your life significance. You can be free indeed in Christ Jesus and free not to walk in your legalistic tradition, free not to walk in the tradition of this world that though it looks lawless, they have their own standard of righteousness they put before others, not trusting in that standard, but trusting in Christ, only in Christ can you have true life, only in Christ can you have true freedom, and only in Christ... Only in Christ can you have the opportunity to truly worship. For that is the freedom that we're given. We're given freedom in Christ Jesus. We're given freedom in Christ Jesus. Not to continue to walk in the sinful life. Not to continue to walk in the way of the world. Not to continue to walk in our own ways, but to walk in righteousness, and that is what he will do for you. If you will but trust in him, if you will but believe upon him, trust in the lordship of Christ Jesus. He is compassionate and he is loving. Loving to all who will come to him. All who come to him, he will in no way cast out.